You may be seated. Our passage this morning comes from the book of Philemon. If you may, if you can turn with me. As many of you <clears throat> who are members and regular attenders, um, you may know that our pastors have been preaching through series from various books. Uh, books. Pastor Tony has um, just about getting ready to finish up Genesis here, and Pastor Nathan is going to be finishing up James. And I've always wanted to uh, preach through a, a series on a whole book myself, so after today, I'll have one under my belt. During seminary, I served as a pastoral intern at a, at a college, um, as a ministry at a local church, and I spent the first couple months trying to get a sense of the, the culture and the dynamics of the students. And I quickly realized that they had a very robust community life. They did everything together. They ate together, played video games together, and went out to the city together. They, they didn't study much, but even that, they did together. But though they had such a robust student life, their spiritual life was virtually non-existent. And I was trying to see what or why that was the case. And so in one of our weekly gatherings, I proposed to them this idea that maybe we should come up with a mission statement for our ministry. Something to give us motivation, something to come back to, something to give us a sense of what and why we do what we do. And I told them that I, w I found something. I found something from another student organization in the university that I thought would be pretty good. And with some minor changes, I proposed it to, to them and to ask, you know, if this was, would be a good one to use. And this is what it read. The purpose of our organization is to strengthen the learning of our members, promote brotherhood and sisterhood, develop leadership, engage the city with community service, support the philanthropic efforts of our organizations, the school, and the community, build the character and integrity of our members, affirm personal and organizational responsibility, and support the mission and the goals of the school. It sounds pretty good. And just like the students also thought that this was good. It was almost unanimous that they not only liked it, but thought that there was nothing to change. And after I revealed to them that this was in fact the mission statement of the university's office of fraternity and sorority life, it was apparent to me why there was virtually no spiritual life in this community. The question is this, what makes us different? The country club down the street, the old men who've been meeting at the same bar and the cigar lounge for the last 30 years. What makes us different? See, the difference between the church and every other gathering of people, even the ones that do good deeds, is that the church is united, grounded, and even defined in Jesus. That's the difference. And the essence of what it means to be a Christian 
is first found in our bond and union with Christ. And from that bond, it informs our bond with one another. Philemon is a short and yet personal letter between Paul and Philemon. From what we can gather, Philemon is a leader, if not the pastor, of this small church in Colossae and that meets in his home. And the two are very close. It infers that even Philemon himself became a believer through Paul's ministry. And the story surrounding the letter is pretty straightforward. And as we will read, we will see that Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus, though we're not clear how, but he wronged his master, most likely stealing some money, that financed his getaway. But by divine appointment, Onesimus comes in contact with the Apostle Paul, who at this time is in prison. And not only does he meet him, but like his master, he himself becomes a believer. And though Paul, as we'll see in a moment, as though Paul loves Onesimus, and Onesimus is of great help to Paul's ministry, even while he is in jail, Paul wants to send Onesimus back to his master so that Philemon and his slave may be reconciled. You see, where Philemon, the book of Philemon, lacks in the robust theological teaching and details that we may find in the other of Paul's letters, it makes up for it, more than makes up for it, by, the, by it touching on a particular truth that we all need to be reminded time and time again, and that is that the Christian's bond with Christ is the basis for our bond with each other. And it is through that bond that all Christians are edified and grow in faith. So if you will turn with me to the letter of Philemon, and let us read God's word together. Paul, a prisoner of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker in Apphia, our sister in Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for the saints, for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, 
but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again come into your presence to receive grace. We ask the preaching of your word may reveal to us more clearly our identity, our identity in you, namely that we are beloved. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts so that the written and preached word would grow us in the knowledge and the love of the living word who was Christ. Convict us in those areas where we have sinned and encourage us to find rest in the finished work of Christ. Renew us in our affection for him and in turn to those he loves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul begins his letter in ordinary fashion. Paul has a particular structure that he uses in most, if not all, of his letters. And he begins by introducing himself, Paul. Then he addresses the recipient of the letter, then greets them with grace and peace, then gives thanks to God before getting to the main body of the letter. Now, if we are accustomed to this, we'll see that Philemon is no different. We have introduction, recipient, grace and peace, thanks to God and the main body. And if we are too quick to see that as just simply an opening that Paul uses and too quickly want to get to the main body, we are in danger of something that is essential to not only this letter, but to all of his letters. You see that it's only 25 verses, this book. And yet if I wrote this letter and I was given 25 verses, I wouldn't have wasted much words with the introduction, especially knowing that he's going to make an appeal to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Why use the first third of this letter with this introduction? And that's because of this. You see, Paul's primary concern is not the appeal. Now, we'll get there. But his primary concern is that he wants Philemon and those that received this letter to be reminded of their identity, primary identity in Christ. And we know that the primary identity of all Christians and their relationship with Christ is defined by grace and peace. You see, it was grace that Jesus died for Philemon's sins. 
Amazing grace that saved the wretch like him. It was grace that God sought out Philemon and amazing grace to him who was once lost and blind. Now is found in sea. It was by grace that Philemon came to faith and amazing grace that Jesus is both the author and perfecter of Philemon's faith. And it is by Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, Philemon has peace with God. See, it was this peace that reconciled this sinner to his creator. And now by this peace, which a son can cry out to his God, Abba, Father. And the reason why Paul never fails to include this structure and introduction in all of his letters is because that is his primary concern for all of his recipients. Philemon, Paul... You and I have received grace and peace from God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is the principal identity of us all. It is not what we do as fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, brother, sister, neighbor, co-worker that defines our relationship but rather it is what Christ has done where we find our primary identity. I recently heard a sermon uh, by a preacher preaching from Ephesians 4, and in the first verse it mentions a calling. And he mentioned that in the New Testament there are 51 occasions of this word calling, 51 times. But surprisingly, only two times Two of the 51 times is in reference to what we are called to do. What we are called to do. That means 49 other times, whenever we see the word calling in the New Testament, it is in reference to us being called who we are. And namely, it is as beloved in Christ. Our calling, we have been called, our identity are those who are beloved in Christ. And Philemon gets that. How do I know Philemon gets that? Because the rest of the first third of this passage or this letter is Paul giving thanks to God of seeing this grace and peace being lived out in Philemon's life. Philemon gets it. For Philemon, grace and peace is much more than just a greeting in a letter, but he knows that it is primary foundation for his identity. And we'll see it is his primary bond with Christ which informs his bond to other believers that we see in verses 4 and 7. For Philemon, he gets it. Faith in Jesus Christ and the love for the saints are two sides of the same coin. Love God, love your neighbor. I think Philemon embodies what our, our Lord himself taught in John 15. And starting from verse 4, it says, Christ says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse 8, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, I will abide, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And I think this is where he really shines. Philemon shines because this is where Christ turns and says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Philemon's abiding in Jesus is the basis of and inseparable from his love for his fellow believer. But let's be careful not to isolate faith and love as mere ideas, because that is not what Paul does. You see, faith and love are not mere ideas, but for Paul, it is always characterized through action. In verse 6, Paul prays that the sharing or the koinonia, the partaking, the fellowship is in the active faith. And in that active faith that will mature us in every good thing. You see, even in the passage that I read from John 15, Christ, Christ has this idea that abiding in him is characterized by keeping his commandments. Loving our neighbor is characterized by laying down our lives for one another. And so as our bond in Christ is not a mere idea, but a reality, which is expressed through action, so are our bonds with each other not a mere idea and must be expressed through action. And so with that in mind, Paul transitions from that to the main part of the letter, which is Philemon, so that Philemon can have a specific opportunity to express this love, express this love not merely as an idea, but specifically towards Christ and his fellow believers in the church. Verse 8. Verse 8 through 16, we have the beginning of the main story or the main part of the letter. And then if you have Bibles with headings, I'm sure it'll say something to the effect of Paul's plea for Onesimus or his appeal for Onesimus. But the funny thing is that Paul's explicit requests for Philemon actually doesn't come until verse 17. Two, more than two-thirds of the way into his letter, and he has not clearly stated what he wants of Philemon. And the reason why is I believe that Paul wants to highlight, he'll make allusions to what the, the request is, but what he really wants to highlight is this expression, this action, this love that we have, this faith that we have in Christ, expressed in love. He wants to get at how we do that. How do we express it to our fellow believers? And he highlights two different approaches or motivations that Christians have relationship with one another. Now, both are permissible. But only one is better. The first way that Paul alludes or describes 
how we express our love to one another is in exercising our authority or our right. Exercising our authority or our right. See, Paul alludes to this first option himself in the beginning of verse 8 where he essentially says, I do have the authority as an apostle to have you do what is right. What I know you should be doing. And he is in the right. He is an apostle. And he knows that Philemon ought to do a specific thing. Even Philemon, a man who had experienced injustice in the sense that someone stole from him and his slave ran away from him. And upon receiving Onesimus, he has every right not only to receive him, but he has every right to receive him in a way that may not be good for Onesimus. He can throw him in jail. Onesimus can be thrown in in jail or even executed. And if that's the worst case scenario, the best case scenario is that Onesimus would have a brand on his head that says fugitive for the rest of his life. Or beware the thief. And it is in his right, Philemon, and also in Paul's right to express in such a way to fellow believers. Yet Paul himself doesn't appeal for Onesimus by exercising his authority or right over Philemon, as we see in verse 14. And he doesn't want Philemon to do anything out of compulsion. But in fact, what he does is now he turns to the other way. If not exercising his right and authority, the other way is expressing his relationship with Philemon by doing what is most beneficial to him. Or simply put, out of love. And this is not only true for Paul to Philemon, but for all Christians. You see, if we look at Onesimus' life, we know that upon becoming a Christian, he expresses his love to fellow Christians in the second way. You see, he's most likely lazy, right? There's an allusion to him being useless, which is ironic because his name means useful. He ran away, he stole. And yet despite his past life, when he becomes a Christian, the first thing he does is that he serves and loves upon the apostle who was in prison. How do we know that? We know that because Paul loves Onesimus so much that he calls him my very heart. In fact, he is so dear to him in in Onesimus' expression of love to the apostle that even the appeal itself to send him back to Philemon is a difficult thing for Paul to do. He knows it's the right thing to do. But he loves Onesimus because he shows uh, Onesimus shows love to the apostle so much. And he wants to keep him for his own ministry. See, Onesimus gets it. He gets that the proper expression that we have to one another is by love or specifically what is most beneficial to the other person. Likewise, Paul also sees that it's most beneficial for Philemon that Onesimus is returned to him, not because he had lost a slave, but that by in reconciling with 
his slave, that he would gain a brother forever. And that if, in fact, Philemon is a pastor of a church, is if, in fact, Onesimus loves the church and loves Christ and serves it, would it not be beneficial to Philemon that this brother would help him, this brother would encourage him, as he also did for Paul? Furthermore, Paul mentions in verse 15 what joy could result in the relationship that could be restored between them. And he alludes to this idea that it would be of much benefit to Philemon to have this unique perspective, unique lens that perhaps only him and God could have. And that is this. Just as we have gone through in our Genesis series, in Genesis chapter 15 verse 20, we hear about Joseph's brother who meant for evil and yet God used it for good. Would it not also be for the case for Philemon who saw this evil and who saw this injustice, who saw his slave run away and yet he would have the benefit of seeing the providential hand that God was using through that deed for the benefit of Philemon Onesimus, and the entire church. See, many times it's easier for us to do what we're told to do in our relationships. And I see all the kids just nodding their heads. Yes, it's difficult serving one another at home, in church, at school. It is difficult. But it's still much more easier to do what is expected of us, to do what is prescribed of what it means to be a good Christian, to simply just show up, sit in a worship service, maybe help out with a ministry when I have time, when it's convenient. And as hard as that may be, that's still easier to do out of compulsion than to do it out of love. And the reason why is that if you do it out of genuine love, the reason why it's so hard is because if you do it in that way, if you express your relationship one another in love, the reason why it's so hard is because you rarely gain anything from it. In fact, it's costly of your time, energy, emotions, money, resources, To do it in this way, it's difficult. I much rather just do it out of compulsion. But we don't do this with each other. We don't live out of love. And Paul is not saying it is love that is the better way because it's convenient, because it's easy, because you'll gain something from it. No, he alludes to this being the better way because it is in fact the way Christ loves us. Christ, who laid down his life for his church, gave everything he had, and there was nothing left to give. It was inconvenient for him. He gained very little from giving up everything. And yet it was his joy to do so, not for his own gain, because he knew that it would be most beneficial to us. That is the better way. 
And so it is when the beloved of Christ, who know that they have their union with Christ, expressing their bond with the church through love and not compulsion or convenience, it is only then that all Christians are edified and grow in grace. And that is where he ends. And that's our last point here in verse 17 to 25. Finally, verse 17, we're here. The actual appeal Paul is giving to Philemon. He wants him to receive him back. And even there we're not very clear. Is it simply just to receive him back out of compulsion or just do the bare minimum? Is he asking that you receive him back and as he served me in my ministry so you ought to use him for your own ministry? Or is he even saying, not only do I want you to receive him back, but I want you to receive him back as a brother. In other words, I want you to free him from his slavery. And we don't know. It just doesn't tell us. But what we are sure and certain about is that in verse 20, Paul, Paul wants some benefit from Philemon. Whatever your decision may be, whatever it may be, may it be a decision so that I myself can benefit. How interesting. Philemon and Onesimus are reconciled, and a third-party Paul, thousands of miles away, in jail, he himself not knowing what's happening, he says, I am confident that whatever decision you make, it will refresh me. Now, what's also interesting about this verse is that Paul uses a play on words. Two times. The first word he uses is this word benefit. And it's interesting because this word benefit is only used once in the New Testament. Here. And because it's so rare, we know that it's intentional that the word benefit in the Greek has the same root word in the name Onesimus. Benefit, useful, and Onesimus. And he's deliberately trying to show the interplay between how close Onesimus is to Paul. I can read it maybe in this way, in verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in, in the Lord. Or I can say, yes, brother, I want you to be Onesimus to me. With the love that I have for him and my very heart, I want you to be Onesimus to me, Philemon. And if that's a little far-fetched, if I'm pulling from left field, the second phrase actually doubles down on it. It says, refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. You see, earlier Paul called Onesimus my very heart. And what he's alluding to is that as you refresh and encourage and edify and strengthen your relationship with your now new brother, you will also be refreshing my very heart. What Paul is getting to is that when we as the beloved recognize that we are grounded and inseparable from the grace and the peace that Christ has given to us, 
and that the very Spirit motivates us into action to not only love Christ, but the people Christ loves. It is not only to our benefit or to the benefit of the one who receives, but also to the one who gives. It's because we get to experience the very love that Christ loves us. The love that gives up everything. The love that does not care for oneself, but only for the benefit of another person. And in that way, we grow in our own faith. Paul ends also with this letter, with a series of names to encourage Philemon, fellow prisoners and workers in Christ. Paul uses it to remind him that the very ministry that you're doing, the very suffering and the difficulty of loving one another, whatever you're going through, here's a list of other names that you are very well acquainted with that are also going through that very thing. And not only is the camaraderie of these names, but in the last verse, the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, that is what will sustain you. Paul knows that this is a difficult ask. And Paul knows that even on his good day, Philemon may be able to do it. Even on our good days, we may be able to love one another. But if we take confidence in how well we can do that, and isolate our identity in what we do, we are doomed. We are doomed. There would only be a season for it to fizzle out. We see what we really need is truly the grace of Christ. And that is what Paul leaves Philemon with. You see, Paul was confident that Philemon would do more than what he would ask. And yet we are left in the dark. Because we don't know what happened between Philemon and Onesimus. The Bible never tells us. And yet by the grace of God from church history, we may have a window to what may have happened. An early church father by the name of Ignatius of Antioch was a, was a martyr dying for his faith. And on his way to being executed, he wrote many letters to encourage various churches. And one of the letters was a a letter to the Ephesians. And in that letter, he mentions how he himself is encouraged and strengthened by the faith and the zeal of their bishop, whose name is Onesimus. Now, we can't say for sure if this is the same Onesimus that we have here in our passage, although it's very likely that it is. But we don't take confidence in that. We don't take confidence in Onesimus. What we do take confidence is in this. Just as Paul states in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where we do take our, find our confidence, is our confidence to love and build up the church is not in our own power, but to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. My final challenge to myself and to all of us, as Elder, Elder Lance prayed, I do pray that the Lord protect our church 
I, I pray that the Lord protect our church from the various schemes and the lies of the evil one and of the world out there. But I also do pray that we, we do not forget our first love. You know, as a pastor, it's so easy for me to just simply come up here and tell you what to do. But it will be of no benefit to you. It will be no benefit of the people that you're sitting next to. May we leave here, not simply thinking of ways that we can serve, but let, let us leave here first and be reminded of the grace and the peace that we have in Christ Jesus. And just as we are left in the dark of the Philemon and Onesimus story, and we are also in the dark of how our lives will turn out, but may we take confidence in knowing that when we cling so dearly to the one that loves us, that we will have confidence that whatever the way our stories end, it will be amazing. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, we repent of our hearts. So often we confess that we are no longer bound by law and yet we move from one law to the next. Father, forgive us and help us. Allow us to put our focus on Christ. Allow us to look once again of the great love that he has shown to us. And may we be in awe of the way in which you providentially use our lives and our relationships, even now in our church, so that it may be most beneficial to your church and to all the glory of Christ. And it's his name we pray. Let us stand once again and sing our hymn of response as the elders prepared the table by singing hymn 146, and we'll sing the first two verses.